a reading from the book of Second Chronicles, chapter 36, 5 through 20. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, his God. Against him came up Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and bound him in chains to take him to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar also carried part of the vessels of the house of the Lord to Babylon and put them in his palace in Babylon. Now, the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim and the abominations that he did and what was found against him, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. And Jehoiakim, his son, reigned in his place. Jehoiakim was 18 years old when he began to reign, when he became king, and he reigned three months and 10 days in Jerusalem. He did that what he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. In the spring of the year, king of the king of Nebuchadnezzar sent and brought him to Babylon with precious vessels of the house of the Lord and made his brother Zedekiah king over Judah and Jerusalem. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. He did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet, who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear by God. He stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord, the God of Israel. All the officers of the priests and the people likewise were exceedingly unfaithful following all the abominations of the nations. And they polluted the house of the Lord that he had made holy in Jerusalem. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. Therefore, he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or aged. He gave them all into his hand. All in all the vessels of the in all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his princes, all these he brought to Babylon. And they burned the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem and burned all its palaces with fire and destroyed all its precious vessels. 
he took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword. And they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia. A reading from the book of Daniel, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. A reading from the book of Psalms, chapter 137, verse 1. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. A reading from the letter to the Romans, chapter 8, verses 28 and 29. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. This is the word of the Lord. So today we begin a study of the book of Daniel. We're only going to do the first half, uh, chapters 1 through 6. Today is chapters 1 through 3. The book of Daniel is a book of worship. This is a book about the goodness of God. The goodness of God when everything else in your life is going wrong. It's a how-to book. How to see God's goodness and to worship him when you're suffering and ashamed. If you have gone through things so painful that you wished you had never been born, then welcome to the book of Daniel. In this book, we jump right into the middle of the bittersweet story of God's people and find that God's people, air quotes, had been worshiping idols for many generations, desecrating their places of worship by not following the Ten Commandments and by doing whatever they pleased, embracing greed, violence, and oppression of the poor and needy, and many forms of sexual immorality. In the timeline of the history of the Bible, as the book of Second Chronicles ends and the book of Daniel begins, God's incredible patience for the people that he made for his glory seems to be on pause. A time of judgment has come, and God is now pouring out a bowl of his judgment. 
It wounds, but it does not destroy. Feel the pain of the person who wrote this psalm, Psalm 137. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. Can you see that they're being forced to become Babylonians after already having lost everything? But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance... um, our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. 
And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. In the second year of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time, because you have seen that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the, king, the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. 
then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought, Dan brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries has made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was made was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron its feet, partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, 
to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory, and into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beast of the field, and the birds of the heaven, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you. And yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom, but some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. And it shall stand forever, just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering, an incense, be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel also made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained in the king's court. So that sounds like things got a lot better for them. But remember what had just happened to them. Put yourself in their shoes. Daniel and his friends are taken away from everything and everyone they know and love and forced to become Babylonian servants, like Joseph. Could we see a slide of the Middle East and show where Babylon is? So you can see here that uh, the modern nation of Iraq, Babylon was located, uh, was kind of centered there. And Daniel and his friends were from this little country, Israel, which had now become uh, uh, a subject state to Babylon, 
but we're going to see next time in part two that Israel is about to be more thoroughly destroyed. But right now, so far, not everybody is dead. So far, everybody is just dead to Daniel. Like, there's probably no letter writing here. Daniel, at least not yet. Daniel is taken away from his family. These kids are teenagers. They're probably 15 years old, right? And at that age in their life, they've been pulled away from everything they've ever known. And now they've got to, they're, they're told to forget who they are and become Babylonian. This was uh, fairly cruel, just barely kind, very shrewd political tactic that Babylon um, practiced. King Nebuchadnezzar was one of the world's great kings. Uh, as we've seen already, he had some personal problems. Nebuchadnezzar and uh, his contemporaries would go and conquer these lands, and then they'd take um, some of the children of the king and queen, some of the children of the nobility, like the people who were next in line to rule. He'd take them, he'd make them Babylonian, and he'd give them positions if, if they were qualified. He'd give them positions. So there were people from all over the Middle East, even Greece, which isn't even on the map and is outside the Babylonian Empire, at the court of, uh, of Nebuchadnezzar, like working as his servants, counselors, advisors, statesmen. This helped keep all those countries he had conquered from rebelling because they had people on the inside, right? And if they rebelled, I'm sure their people would be, have their arms ripped off and their houses turned into piles of rubble pretty quickly, right? So Daniel and his friends are taken away from everything. And what's more, did you catch the spiritual significance when it said some of the vessels, that's like cups and bowls and dishes from the house of God, were taken out of the house of God and carried away to Babylon, and Nebuchadnezzar put them in the house of his God. He's saying, I dominate your God. Your God is weak. God noticed that. We're going to see next time in part two, um, how God felt about that in more detail. So here's Daniel and his friends. They've been in Babylonian school, learning Babylonian literature, Babylonian art, Babylonian philosophy, Babylonian religion. There's a lot of peer pressure. The peer pressure is almost overwhelming. It's more than we've ever experienced, right? And to win their hearts, they are given the richest food on the planet. Okay, if you're a foodie, okay, this would have been very tempting for me. Like, I'm talking like, like not Atlantic salmon, I'm talking like king salmon. I'm talking not like, you know, like, like Kroger cheesecake. We're talking like the, the freshest, best cheesecake made with like the best organic cream cheese. Like, this is, this is out of this world like good food and wine. Like, I've never in my life, I've, one time my wife and I went to a really nice restaurant and we had the best glass of wine I've had in my life. It was a 96 point wine and I'll never forget it. Their wine was the best wine in the world. To win their hearts, they were given all of the delicacies, the food, the wine, the wealth, the, the company of the king. They were really embraced and welcomed in in a certain way we'll see this wasn't without like death threats hanging over their head. So this is very much a tyranny. This is uncomfortable. 
Some of the people of Israel wrote Psalm 137. Hear and feel their pain. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. Zion was a long time ago and a long ways away. And in the coming years after Daniel, in the, in the next decade or two, Zion is going to be wiped out. Like, like the foundation scraped off. The Edomites, their neighboring country, was like, like, scrape everything off down to the foundation. Psalm 137 is like this prayer, praying God will repay the Edomites, partly, you know, and God will repay the Babylonians for what you have done to us, it says in Psalm 137. Like, Daniel and his friends didn't just suddenly move from being like children of the king and then of the nobility to being like, you know, kind of welcomed into the court of a better, richer kingdom. Like, their life is both tempting with enormous peer pressure to forget God and forget their identity. Like, they're fighting to keep who they are. And their identity is totally wrapped up in the promised land and in the capital of the promised land, Jerusalem. Like, do you guys know that psalm about Jerusalem? I forget what psalm number it is. Um, but it's all about like how beautiful Jerusalem is and how it's towers. And the psalm is advice to somebody saying, walk around Jerusalem, like count its towers, look at its citadels. What he's saying is, look what God has done. God has made us a great people as evidenced by how great and beautiful our capital city is, where the temple of God is. But now Nebuchadnezzar's come and he's taken the, the people who would have become in charge and he's taken to publicly the shame of God is how everybody is thinking of this. He's taken some of the things out of God's temple and put them in the temple of some pagan god. In Babylon, every gate of the city is named after a different pagan god, and the city itself is filled with um, something like eight or 12 different like major temples to pagan gods. This is a city of idols. Why had all of this happened to Daniel and his friends? Because Israel disobeyed, because of Israel's idolatry. For generations, they'd been working, worshiping idols and, and sinning without repentance. And now, for Daniel and his companions, the pressure's on. They're like, they're like almost the only people of God on earth at the time. Like, there aren't many more of them. And now, it looks like they're going to lose the promised land. They've lost their parents, loved ones, if they were engaged, so much for that, right? Like, things are really bad. And in the context of this, Daniel makes a little choice. He makes up his mind not to disobey God. Okay, do you think he's going to get his arms tied up to a thing over here and his arms tied up to a thing over here and have his arms pulled off while he's screaming? That is exactly what's going to happen to Daniel if he makes up his mind to not disobey God. He thinks God might intervene and he acts in faith and he goes and he asks permission to not eat the, the wine that had been offered to idols and the food that had been sacrificed to idols. And what's more, in their ceremonial laws that we no longer practice but that were in effect at the time, 
as established by God, there were lots of specific foods that God said, these are clean, these are unclean. All of the unclean foods were on the table. And do you think the people at the table had, like, would have been in good standing with King Nebuchadnezzar if they picked and chose and said, oh, no, thank you. You know, what if the king passes you, you know, a, a really good, like, like, pork steak or something? Like, what do you do? Say, thanks, Nebuchadnezzar, I'll just pass that down. No, you do as he says. When you were welcomed to his family, you were welcomed into his family in his way, right? There weren't exceptions given here because you were Jewish. They weren't exceptions given because you're a follower of Yahweh. Daniel puts his life on the line. He decides he will not eat food sacrificed to idols, and he will not eat unclean foods. Supernaturally, God gives them favor with the Babylonian leadership. And then, on a diet of, it, it was actually vegetables and grains, I read in a commentary, right? So, so this is like, can we get a picture of the food on the king's table? Like, this is Thanksgiving. Like, one time I went to um, some dear friend's house for Thanksgiving who are a little bit more well-to-do, and even their water came in brand-name glass bottles, and they, and they poured it into nicer glasses than I think I own. And, like, everything on the table was, like, way a cut above just about anything I would have served at my Thanksgiving. And I, that's, like, my favorite holiday. I make a big deal of it. Next slide, please. Veggie burgers. They ate the, they might not have tasted very good. They're asking for like grains and vegetables mixed together because they know at least that's not unclean and that hasn't been sacrificed to idols because why would you bother offering vegetables even to your idols? <laughs> eat, eat your vegetables. This isn't about nutrition. This is about being faithful to the Lord when the pressure is really, really on. God supernaturally gives them favor with the Babylonian leadership. I doubt they were otherwise very inclined to take requests from their captives. And then, in little more than a week of eating veggies and grains, God causes their appearance to be changed. Like, if you study nutrition, you might know that if you eat a healthier diet, you'll have nicer looking skin. Probably, right? Okay. In 10 days, you don't go from regular to the best-looking person in the kingdom. This is an empire. It's big. And you can bet they took not just the smartest but the best-looking kids from all these other countries. There's a lot of, like, competition in the beauty pageant here, right? It's not a beauty pageant. But God changes their appearance, and then he raises their IQ. He gives them wisdom. He gives them knowledge. As they read the same books everybody else is reading, he makes them get it. Their reading comprehension skyrockets. They're supernaturally changed into geniuses. They become some of the smartest people in the world. Were they already? They were the same as everybody else. Because of their faithfulness to God, their minds were open. And he gave them special understanding of things greater than what other people would get. And Daniel had understanding of visions and dreams. Wow, that's off the charts. Like, nobody in Ivy the best Ivy League schools has that. God is being incredibly generous to the people, these people in the midst of their incredible pain and loss. Like Joseph, 
God gives Daniel understanding of visions and dreams even while he's in captivity. And then they are selected to be special attendants in the court of King Nebuchadnezzar. I wonder what happened to the people who didn't make the cut. Okay, so now it's next year. King Nebuchadnezzar wakes up and he's been having these dreams and they freaked him out. He's troubled. What did he dream? He dreamt, could we get the slide about the big thing? He dreamt of this giant statue or figure of a man or idol that was about six stories tall, as tall as a six-story building, about 90 feet high, and it's, and it's bright. It says it's exceedingly bright. So it's, it's almost like it's giving off light, or at least um, the gold and the silver and the probably polished bronze are reflecting the light of the Mediterranean sun. Like if you don't have sunglasses, it hurts your eyes to look at this thing. And not only is it bright, it's frightening. And the head is made of pure gold. And Daniel's going to interpret it and say, well, God's giving you this word picture, so to speak, or literally picture. And then he puts it into words and it represents the next several world empires. Um, Babylon was a great empire. The Medes and the Persians, uh, conquered Babylon um, just a few generations down. Daniel lives to see it. We're going to see that in part two. After that, uh, the Greeks come through. If you, if you enjoy history, you know that Alexander the Great is one of the greatest military and most driven military figures ever to have lived. He developed an incredible new uh, battlefield tactic. And, and largely because of that and his drive, he swept across and plowed through the armies of the known world. And the Greek Empire, which came after the Medes and the Persians um, in what, the 300s or so? Somebody can correct me. Um, after that, Greek culture and language had been spread throughout the world. But there were already Greeks living in Daniel's time in the court. There are actually some, some words from uh, in the book of Daniel that were Greek words and Persian words Nebuchadnezzar was an expert at bringing people together and getting them under his control. After that, uh, the fourth kingdom is probably the Roman Empire, which was unlike anything the world had ever seen, yet greater in military strategy and tactics than the Greeks. Um, they were brilliant. They were cruel. They crushed everything. They practiced crucifixion. If, they didn't, if your city rebelled against their rule, they might go through and line up everybody. They'd t get you out of your homes, line you up in the field, and they'd count. One, ten, all right, crucified. One, twenty, crucified. Count, thirty. And every tenth person was decimated or crucified, right? And, uh, and they, would, they would line the road going into and out of your town with your crucified relatives. This is Rome. It was bad, right? So they crushed, but they didn't hold together. Uh, they were an empire that crumbled, like like if you have a clay pot and you somehow could swirl it together with metal, like iron, like, you know, that, that breaks apart, that doesn't hold together. And it's in the time of these kingdoms that the king of kings, that the king of kings is cut out from a virgin's womb, not with, not by the will of father and mother, not with human hands. This rock, this rock who is Christ, this foundation of the mountain, the rock cut out of the mountain, the foundation of the mountain of the people of God, um, 
the Bible uses a mountain as a word picture of God's people. Because, think about it, stand at the base of a mountain in your, in your mind's eye and look up. What do you think? It's big. And it's way bigger than, like, buildings and stuff. It's, it's a mountain. Next time you see you're standing at the base of a mountain, if you get the chance, hopefully a big one, just look at it and think, that makes me think of the church. That makes me think of the people that, are be that have become a kingdom that are filling the whole earth. The mountain grew and filled the whole earth. So God is reassuring Daniel and his friends that he has not forgotten them in their incredible pain and loss and suffering, and that he is in control even over vicious and threatening Nebuchadnezzar, and that he's doing something good, and that he will make it happen. Chapters uh, 7 through 11 and 12 of Daniel have lots more specific prophecies about the, the specific rulers, kings, princes, and generals that are going to come. We're not going to get into that, but the main point of that is God has not left them, and he's in control over every politician, every military general, every battle. He is deeply and intimately concerned about them when they're suffering, and he's involved, and he's got this one. So King Nebuchadnezzar has troubling dreams. He dreamed about this huge and frightening statue. What's the head made out of? Gold. Fine gold. Six, like, like huge statue, um, and, and the, the head is gold. I'm guessing it wasn't hollow in the, in the dream. Like, that's a lot of gold. That is beautiful. If you're a lover of money and fine things, like you would be drawn to that. And when Daniel stood in Nebuchadnezzar's court and said to him, you are the head of gold, do you think his heart swelled with pride? Do you think he was filled with satisfaction in the great and mighty work of his own hands when Daniel said to him, Another kingdom inferior to yours will come after you. Do you think he heard, I won't have a multi-generational legacy? You know, because my kingdom is eventually going to be replaced with somebody else's kingdom? I think, I think Nebuchadnezzar was like, inferior to mine? So, so it's about to get really bad in chapter 3. We'll get there. Hold that thought. So, so the, the magicians, the witches, the, the enchanters, the really well-educated people, um, they come, they're all called in, and they stand before uh, Nebuchadnezzar, and they're like, only the gods could tell you what you dreamed, and they don't live here. We're going to see in part two, God himself come down in, in a form that Nebuchadnezzar says, a son of the gods and he's going to stand in the furnace with the men and preserve their lives. But God, God does live here. There is a God who lives among us. Daniel acts in faith, and he goes in before the king. It's probably a wonder his guards didn't, like, chop off his head just for, just for asking permission to come in or something, you know? So he comes in, and Nebuchadnezzar 
gives him permission to take more time, just what the other guys had asked for, but somehow this furious, like, anger issues on steroids, ultra-violent tyrant is like, okay, all right, you have an appointment, you know. Daniel goes home, and he doesn't know yet that God is going to give him the understanding to this dream. He knows it's happened before. This is a real step of faith. Maybe he could have fled for his life. You know, he had a pretty high position in the government already. Maybe he could have gotten away. I don't know. Um, that's not the choice he makes. He takes a step of faith, and he goes home, and he gets his friends, and he's like, pray for mercy. And they pray, and somehow he falls asleep. I don't know how he fell asleep. I bet the other three were awake praying. Um, he fell asleep, and God revealed the entire dream and its meaning to Daniel in a vision of the night. And he wakes up and he worships. And that is the point and the meaning of the book of Daniel. That God will give you power, especially through the example of his saints and the knowledge that the Son of God is in our midst and has not forgotten us when we suffer and will not waste our suffering. He will use it to make us, to remake us in the image of his Son when the whole world is concerned with the image of man and with, and with golden images of idolatry and they're concerned with all the other things in the context of your suffering, God is powerful to bring you near and to keep you because he himself has been humble enough and cared about you enough to come near to you. And the point of the book of Daniel is how to worship him in the middle of our worst nightmare, in the middle of our suffering. That is possible. And we see a glimpse of how. You have to spend a lot of time reading the scriptures until they become a part of you so that you can learn like Daniel to worship when you're suffering. That's not easy. Okay, so Daniel worships God. Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar the dream and its interpretation. It's a dream with a message from God that shows that God is in control of everything. I don't think Nebuchadnezzar gets it yet, but God is drawing him. It shows that God is in control of everything and that God's people are going to survive this exile and eventually become a great people, but not by their own power. It's not by human hands. The greatness was not in them. The greatness was for them and brought them into the greatness of Christ. So then what's Nebuchadnezzar's response in all this? We saw that Daniel worshipped God. What does Nebuchadnezzar do? This is clearly supernatural. Nobody's ever told anybody else what they dreamed before without special revelation from heaven, right? What's Nebuchadnezzar's response? Does he get it? Does he worship God? No. He's overcome. Good. And he bows down. Good. And he bows down to Daniel. He just heard Daniel say, nobody on earth, I'm not special. Like, like there is a God in heaven, and he has revealed to you what's going to, what the future. And, and Nebuchadnezzar, he's a, little, he's a little thick. Have we ever been a little thick like that? And Nebuchadnezzar gets the good idea, oh, I'll bow down to that guy. Oh, fail. Epic fail. Bring the incense, bring him gifts, bring him honor, give him a high position. Good, I did the right thing. And he goes back to ruling. 
Enter chapter 3. This makes me want to bawl. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. It's 90 feet tall. It's 9 feet wide. It's as tall as a six-story building. He set it up on the plain of Dura, which was probably right next to the city, in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Why is the Bible so repetitive? This is a poem. It's trying to make a point. Bear with it. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Why were Daniel and his friends and others from Israel carried away, their city eventually looted, most of the people killed, all of them carried away as slaves of Babylon, their idolatry? They didn't love the word of God, and they most certainly didn't do it. Many of them still counted themselves the people of God. That was actually a pretty popular idea back then. It would be like saying, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. Now it's Daniel's three friends' hour to shine. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, we're going we're gonna to see 
Nebuchadnezzar was a great king. He did have an anger issue. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. The whole world is watching. Is the pressure on a little bit? This is harder than when you were asked in high school, hey, are you a Christian? This is a lot of pressure. And, and you might have said, no, right? Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the hornpipe, lyre, dragon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. Pause. Do you think he thought he was some, in some way bringing about the will of God? He'd seen this wonder, this like supernatural vision from God. God sent a man with some connection to God's mind and heart to tell him, you're the head of gold. Like, he's an idolater. This probably only seemed natural to him. Yes, He's a little puffed up with pride to call representatives from the whole world to come and bow down to the statue that's probably made in his image, not the image of God, right? First commandment, right? And uh, he, he, he probably actually believes this is okay. I could believe that. But he has not yet met the God of heaven, even though he's about to. If you fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? That's a refrain. The gods whose dwelling is not with men. Who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Nobody here believes God is big enough to do this. God is big enough to use your pain and suffering to bring about his glory, and he's able to do that without committing any sin and without doing anything wrong. That might be hard to imagine. That's the God we're here to worship. He is able to both be in control of all things and for you to make choices, and God is not at fault for your choices, even though he's in control. He's in control in such a way that you are still responsible for what you do. That's a little bit mysterious. God is able to use all of the hard things in your life, all of the things that have been done with you, even the sin that you've committed against others. And he's able to bring out of it, like flowers growing up out of volcanic soil, something very beautiful. And he will. That's the message of Daniel. You are not alone in your suffering. God is able to bring us together, to make us into a holy mountain, and even to make us somehow, us, fit for his name to be on our foreheads, Christian. How could we be called Christians? Only God can do that with regular people like us, with sinners. But he can. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. I'll bet you they could feel the heat of the furnace. 
and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They were probably shaking. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. I thought he was already furious. He takes it up a notch. And the expression of his face changed. Have, if, if you've ever had a problem with anger and you've looked in the mirror, you might notice that your face will flush red, right? It's probably happened to all of us. So this is a guy whose face was flushed red, probably, and then it like turned a whole nother color, right? This is like what happens in like comic books and stuff. But this is real. I would, not be want, I would not want to be standing in this man's presence. The pressure's on. They've delivered. They've made a statement of faith in front of everybody, a statement of faith on which their life depends. This is very relevant for our friends in the Indian church. So please pray for them. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Furnace. These men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Is there any chance? I've actually read stuff that tried to say, well, they fell into a part of the fire that was cooler than the rest, and there was a draft of air. And, you know, like people do, like, coal walking. They actually do walk on coals. There's, a, there's like, a certain way you do it where you don't quite get burned or you don't get burned real bad, even though the coals are pretty hot. Like, there are coals that aren't as hot as other coals. That's, that's baloney. <laughs> like... It killed the soldiers that threw them in, and they were no wimps, and they could probably throw farther than we could, right? These are mighty men. And they fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He was probably risking his life. What if it had come open? He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Can you see Nebuchadnezzar is getting close to faith in God at this point? He's really being undone. God is good. And he's being merciful to one of the most savage men on the planet. And I say, praise God. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king counselor, king's counselors gathered together. They had come out of the fire. And they gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed. When you go close to fire, I like building fires in my backyard. Um, 
Unfortunately, I live in the city, and so I can't make enormous bonfires that threaten nearby forests. Um, <laughs> that's a lot of fun, but there's a little danger there. Even the little fires I make in my little cast iron chimney thing regularly burn the hairs on the back of my hand. The hairs of their heads. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not burned, and no smell of fire had come upon them. My hair smells like fire like one to two days later after I make a campfire. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel. What does angel mean? Okay, let's read it as messenger. Who has sent his messenger and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. The whole world is watching. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses shall be laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Can we get the chiasm? Can we get the highlighted slide? So chapter 2 ended with Nebuchadnezzar having a very special encounter with God. Chapter 3 opens with him making... Do you see, the, do you see the, the repetition in this poem? King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. The image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. The, the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they all stand. What's going to happen? The image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. All the people's nations and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Nebuchadnezzar just screwed up in the biggest way possible before the God of heaven, who is about to humble him in part two, like few people have ever been humbled in their lives, and God help us from having to go through that, but if that's what it takes, I hope he does it. I used to pray that God would humble me. I'd begun to realize I had a problem with pride. Some of you who knew me like seven, eight years ago, please don't say anything. Um, <laughs> it was pretty bad. Um, I went through a few things. Enough said. All the nations worship it. Daniel's friends make up their mind to not disobey God. That's awesome faith. The Holy Spirit has filled them like, like an unquenchable fire of faith. A, uh, quote, son of the gods comes to stand beside them in the fire. Nebuchadnezzar didn't yet have words for it. In fact, it was still a mystery even to the Jewish people that God was going to come down and take on humanity and become like us. Our God is incredibly gentle. See the gentleness and severity of God. He's judged his people for their idolatry, but he did not destroy them all. He left them a remnant. He left them survivors, even... Even when everything was lost, he was still being tender to them. Don't make the mistake of when you're suffering, either for your own sin or because God has called you to suffer for doing righteousness, 
Either way, don't make the mistake of thinking, God's abandoned me. God's cruel. I like the God of the New Testament, but I don't like the God of the Old Testament. God doesn't change. I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you are not destroyed, God said. He didn't destroy the people in the time of Moses when, yeah, they deserved it. He didn't destroy all the people. He left them a remnant in the time of Second Chronicles and Daniel. And then, so here's Nebuchadnezzar. He's just had another bigger, better, more fiery encounter with God, and he still does not worship God. He gets as far in his journey of faith as, if anybody else says anything bad against him, kill him viciously! I'll concede that's something. <laughs> After spending a great deal of time in the book of Daniel since I was a teenager, it has kind of become a part of me. If you put in the hard work of opening your Bible and reading when you're tired, sick, hungry, and lonely, God will open your mind to understand things that you never would have known if you had not become a person who chose to read your Bible a lot. Reading your Bible isn't something that religious people do as a chore or a duty. Reading your Bible does not make you a better person. Reading your Bible introduces you to a person who is better than you, and you will become like him. It will be for his glory, and you won't get the glory, though. You're going to have to let that one go. You're going to have to let your reputation go. You're going to have to not love being well-liked, you're going to have to not love being held in higher honor by people. Um, this is especially true for people who are leaders and pastors, so pray for them. The main theme of the Bible is that God is wonderful, day in, day out, suffering joy. God is wonderful. He is glorious. God made you for His glory. And the purpose of your life is to become more like him for his glory. God spoke through his prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 43. And he said of, of us, bring my sons and daughters back. Verse 7, bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. Your life is not an accident. You are not a product of chance. You exist because God wanted to make you and to bring about good things through the story of your life and its interweaving with the lives of others in the church, which is like its own country. And God, who is embodied in Jesus, is our president and commander and king. The book of Daniel teaches us that we are a part of a great nation called the kingdom of God. The apostles and prophets who lived and died before we were born are our ancestors in this worldwide nation of faith. They are the people who trusted God long ago. They are the forefathers of this country, the country to which you belong in a whole different way to the way you're a citizen of such and such a America or whatever. Long ago, about 600 years before Christ came into the world, except for when he came in in the fiery furnace, there were these teenage boys who decided to trust in God at a time when terrible things were happening. We see from the lives of these teenage boys, Daniel and his friends, that it is possible 
to live a life of faithfulness to God, even when living in a culture where sin is normal and righteousness is unpopular, when the temptations you experience day and night and the peer pressure is beyond, like, off the charts, it is popular. I mean, it is possible. And you join with your ancestors, Daniel and his friends, when you set your mind to serve God wholeheartedly where you are. God didn't say he's going to take you out of trouble. He said in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. In the days of Daniel, it had become very, popular, very unpopular to love and obey God. All the people of Israel had abandoned, almost all the people of Israel had abandoned the one true God in favor of worthless idols and had abandoned non-discriminating love for all people in favor of committing sins against God and against their fellow man, so vile that they had become a stench in God's nostrils. God had caused the mighty kingdom of Babylon to flourish, and the nation of Israel was falling in a violent end, with the rest of its surviving citizens soon to be carried away by the Babylonians. The book of Daniel starts in the year 605 BC, the beginning of the end for Jerusalem and its inhabitants, the people of Israel. But God will not abandon them forever because God is love. And the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is the embodiment of that love and of justice. This is part one. In part two, we're going to see the Son of God come down from heaven and stand with his suffering people in their greatest hour of need again. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29 tell us what God is doing with our pain. We know that for those who love God, it's okay if your faith is this big and your love is, is this big, right? If there's any faith or love there, God will not put out a smoldering wick or, or, or break a, a bruised reed. Don't worry about how big your faith is. We know that God causes everything, uh, all things to work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. For those, uh, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. I'm going to read that in a little easier translation as we close, the New Living Translation. And we know, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them um, for God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Amen.